The Story. One day, my life completely changed. I raced home and my mother was, oh, she was dead on the floor. She'd been electrocuted by a little Hoover washing machine. And then from that moment on, you know, I was broken hearted. And so I just bottled it up. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Today, we begin a series of programs paying tribute to the late Ian Watson, better known as Watto. Ian was a larger-than-life character who always had an encouraging word to share with others, and his legacy will be felt for years to come. He was the founder of a nationwide men's ministry known as Shed Happens, and through that ministry, he has touched thousands of men's lives throughout Australia. In this series, we'll hear from his wife Margaret and his son Hayden, but we'll start today with Watto sharing his story. As we'll hear, when he was growing up, events in his life caused him to put rocks around his heart. Watto shares with Karen Hunt how God's love eventually broke through in his life. So, hey, Watto, where'd you come from? Born at the Sunnyside Hospital in Moolumbah, just into New South Wales. And um, I didn't spend very much time in New South Wales. My mother and father, for a short time, they looked after the ferry that went across the Tweed River at Tumbulgum. But then we moved up into Deegan and I sort of lived around northern suburbs of Brisbane from then on. When I follow the state of origin football, I never say I'm a cockroach in New South Wales. I've always lived my whole life in, in Queensland, so I... <laughs> I, I say I'm a Queenslander. So your whole life is as long as you remember? Oh, yeah. Well, I was a really little tacker when I <laughs> left New South Wales. So what was family life like for you? Well, uh, I was the second born. My oldest sister's two years older than me, and then I have two sisters younger than me. And so I was the only son, and my father worked very hard. He was a good man. He, he had three jobs there at different times. He was a panel beater. And my mother was a beautiful woman. She was a lovey-dovey type woman uh, with a personality that was just so lovable. And we had a great family life. I was surrounded by mainly my mother's uh, aunties and grand- my grandma just up the road. And it all changed when we went to Mount Isa chasing the elusive dollar, but we didn't have fly-in and fly-out. Then we got in this little car, little Austin A40, put a trailer on it, and we took off to Mount Isa. And my dad, he was a foreman of the big Holden dealership up there. And I went to school there, and we bought a house in Mount Isa. And we had two fantastic years because I was really, I was always a good sportsman. And then one day, my life completely changed for me, I raced home on a holiday for a smoko when the whistle blew at 10 o'clock from my little school job and my mother was, oh, she was dead on the floor. She'd been electrocuted by a little Hoover washing machine and she couldn't let go of it and no one was around to turn the power off and it was going through her body for about 20 minutes. When I got home, she was blue and I was frantic and I raced back over to my dad and he, he knew something was wrong and he sort of gave me a slap up and... And from that moment on, you know, I was broken hearted because my mum, you know, I kissed her every every time she was a kissy person. And every time you went somewhere, my mother gave me a kiss and she'd tell me how she loved me. And I've carried that on. And then that sort of finished the Mount Isa thing. We went back to my dad in the few days following that. 
he just packed us up and took us back into the comforts of our grandmas and aunties and that and sort of started that next part of my life. But I never finished that part of my life because I never really got around to say hooray to my mates and all the really wonderful things I had in my eyes. So. Mm. Ian, how um, old were you at this time? Fifteen. Really? Fifteen. And, you know, talk about post-traumatic stress and all that oh. junk. wasn't even a word then, but... You know, I know I'm an emotional bloke at the best of times. My personality is big, in your face, um, big opinion, all that sort of stuff. That was hard growing up with that personality because my dad was pretty stoic and he, he thought that I was should be seen and not heard and he should sort of um, tell me that I was showing off, I was a guy that was a lair and all those sorts of things to try and quiet me down. But um, you know me today, I'm still the same sort of personality that doesn't change. And then when I had the grief of my mother, I was an absolute mess, but no one, in those days, no one knew what to do with the boy. They were all worried about my dad because, you know, it was tragic for him. And so I just bottled it up and went in. And I suppose my passion towards men today, and especially my book, Get to the Heart of, of Who You Are, uh, probably goes right back to that time when my heart was just smashed up. And then uh, some good, some really good things happened, even amongst the bad things. So how did you fare amidst your sisters? So you're the second child, three sisters. Yeah. How did you cope all together and you as the only boy? Oh, <laughs> I was always, poor me, woe is me, the girls are always picking on me, no one listens to me, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, when I didn't have my mother around, but I was a sook. I was a fairly sook. Because I went for my mother's nurture love and she mm. smothered me with it. And, oh, I loved it. And you know, my older sister, she used to have to hold my hand. <laughs> and, and I was even too shy to get on the little Lambretta scooter that the photographer had to get my, you know, he got those photos taken at sure. school. Yeah. Well, I, I was too scared to even sit on it. And the motor wasn't even running. And then like fighting, I had this bloke who used to pick on me all the time. And my older sister, she, she actually fought a, fought a fight for me one day. So, you know, one of the chapters in my book is about the soft nurture love and the directional tough love. <laughs> I did the journey on that one too. But my sisters, when I got to be about 24, I got married when I was 21 to Margaret. Um, my younger sister, Rhonda, was 17. And she was skating on the skate rink down around Palm Beach at the time. Mm -hmm. And would you believe she collapsed and died with a smile oh, on her face? Your sister. And I've got a... Yeah, I've got a photo. I've got this photo of Rhonda with her hands up with this most beautiful, peaceful smile on her face, almost to say, it's okay, I'm going to a better place. And I'm like, it'll blow your brains apart when you see the photo. So this is your sister, Rhonda? This is my younger sister, Rhonda. And how old were you at this time? Uh, just in my early 20s. So, um, you know, I couldn't get out of the car and go into the church for the funeral. They virtually had to carry me and walk me, you know, like a drunken man into the church to sit down because my heart was just so smashed with grief. So this is like and six or seven years later after your mum died. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I get, I, so I get smashed up. So, so, And, you know, I grew up thinking, you know, you have to just get on with it and get over it mm. and toughen up and all that sort of stuff. So in the year when we came back from Mount Isa... I went to Sandgate High, which was just in the two streets over, and uh, I did my junior year. Now, I was pretty good at school, and I really wanted to be a school teacher. I wanted to be a phys ed teacher. Did I was you? a sporting nut. Mm -hmm. Well, I sat in that class, 
and I used to sit up the front seat, sort of beside where the teacher stands and the yeah. blackboard's behind the teacher. Yeah. And I used to sit right up beside the teacher so nobody could see me. And I used to just put my hands up beside my head as though I was just resting my head. But most of the year, I reckon I was crying and I, mm. without tears because I was just so sad. Mm. Yeah, so I don't want you to feel sorry for me, but that's me. Ian, did you have the support of your dad? Did you have any support yeah. at all at that time besides yeah. your other sisters? Yeah, everyone's around you. But if you don't deal with the actual, you know, what's going on deep down in your heart thing, you know, your mind tries to blank out the pain that's deep down inside you. And so it's very easy for me to be alongside men today and see them refuse to go into their hearts and they think, oh, she'll be right, I'll sort it out. And I go, no, 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 your head is going to blow up because down in your heart, Mm. that's where it all starts. Mm. So, but anyway, look, I had a loving family and my two sisters today, they tell me I'm the best brother they could ever wish for. I'm their only brother, by the way. But, but, um, you know, and then in that early part, I was in the Cubs um, and I had to make a big choice decision to leave it and play football and I started in the under 12s and I played AFL all my life. We're always up in the finals, played up in the A grade and played in two premierships and played for Queensland and just absolutely loved football. And Margaret put up with coming to the games from when she was about 17. She was in the cheer squad. To this day, Karen, football is not her first choice at all, I can tell you. I can concur with that. Shh. Tell me, though, your dad in the scenario. Was your dad in his own world of trying to cope? Was he able to be Uh, a a dad to the son of the family? He always did his best. Yeah. You know, I learned things about my dad only when I got older and really asked God about things to sort of really get the honesty of deep down in me about my book. And my dad gave this pretty hard sort of tough and up type thing and I used to think that he was invincible Mm -hmm. I never thought he had a flaw as far as weakness Mm -hmm. you know that's just the way it was he wasn't a skite he was he was just a good hard-working man and he wasn't a noisy bloke like me but you know there was a crucial moment way down in my life when I got to make a call to leave the 22 year old career in the security of the Queensland State Government and I, I said to my dad I was going to buy a truck. And I thought, he's going to give it to me when I say that. You know, he'll tell me, what are you doing that for and all that. But he said, you know, when, he said, I could have bought a truck when I was 19. And I went, oh, what happened? And he said, well, I worked for the market gardener down at uh, Camden, just out west of Sydney. And he said, the bloke who owned it wanted him to buy a truck to run the produce into the Sydney market. And I said to my dad, well, what happened? And he said, I didn't have the guts. And here's my dad in his 70s, early 70s, telling me, making this admission from his heart that he didn't have the guts. And you know, that was the only time in my whole life I ever heard like a faint trace of sort of a kink of weakness, what you think man had to be. And, you know, I remember driving home, talking to, talking to God in the car, saying, oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for that, because it was like a bell went off inside me. It was almost like the God had finally got through to me to push the freedom button to free me up from fear of failure, because what I, what I couldn't really leave that security of that, um, that government job was that I had a fear of failure that I might 
appear on failure in front of other people like a performance thing because just about everything I did in my life I was successful at and I knew like if I was going to play football I'd say no yeah I'm better than this bloke today I'm going to be the best or if I was going to do something I I only ever took on things that I knew I could do anyway so I never really stepped out into the unknown and you know I never sort of got to the point where you trust God and just step out. You were safe. I was safe, and so my, my dad gave me that moment of freedom. And then, like, we've got three boys, three wonderful boys, and they're growing men, and they're fathers now, and husbands. And, and that time of my life as a dad, individually, I went to my sons and I said, "Look, I just found out something about myself today." I said, "I, I found out that uh, my fear of failure in front of others, and I just want to know how has that affected you in your life." And I want you to have a real good think about it. I want you to have a good talk to God about it. Because if, if you've taken on any of that fear of failure in front of other people, I would like you to uh, be free of it from today. I'd like you to um, be able to get on with your life and make your choices and, and, and not be held back because of something that uh, you don't even realise that you can pass on to your children. You, you want them to have all the good stuff. Mm. Uh, you don't want them to have any of the weaknesses. But uh, it's good that we've got a God who, uh, through his son, gives us the freedom to get these things sorted out and get on with life. Mm. So that was another moment for me as a dad. Mm. I was just thinking, Ian, you mentioned, you know, you're the boy with the three sisters and here you are as the man, as a dad, to three sons. Yeah. God, yeah. You know, God's got a purpose in everything, hey? Oh, yeah. And, you know, it, it, we had, Margaret and I had a wonderful life with three sons and, you know, the boys were great. We used to have, a, we, we'd always have deep and meaningfuls every time. And we sat around a round table. We we always had a round table. There's something more friendly about your table if it's round in the kitchen. You sort of actually... And we didn't plan it. You know, one of our sons, he'd say, oh, nobody ever listens to me. And we go, come on, Luke. Yeah, we're all waiting. Tell us what happened in your day. And we'd all make an effort to listen. We'd never, ever eaten with the television on. We've always connected. So... For doing shed like we do now, where you spill your guts, uh, the what I boys, we've always been open. And um, I'd like to think that my boys have learnt to love and respect their wives through watching me love and respect their mother. You're listening to The Story. And today we're hearing a conversation that Karen Hunt had with the late Ian Waddow Watson in 2014. Watto sharing his life journey and how he became the founder of a nationwide men's ministry known as Shed Happens. Next, Watto shares more of his story and about his desire for men throughout Australia to get together and become the real deal blokes who God created them to be. That and more is coming up when we return. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're back with more of a conversation that Karen Hunt had with the late Ian Watson, better known as Watto. Ian was the founder of a nationwide men's ministry called Shed Happens, which continues to this day. Next, Watto shares about his heart for men's ministry. You know, Karen, today, everywhere I go in this country, when men were easy to minister to, we don't want money, we just want one-on-one time. In the shed, there's a part of every man that's got an amazing story that needs to be told so other men and boys can learn and hear, and then they hear how almighty our God is and how 
freeing he is and how loving he is. The world we live in doesn't teach us how to trust. It doesn't teach us how to love. It doesn't teach us how to, to love and respect and have our families go. So, Shed, you don't even have to join Shed. You know, there's no membership. You know, if you turn up, you turn up. If you cook, you cook. If you And that's how blokes need to feel. And whether you're a doctor or a dentist or a, a gynecologist or a truck driver or whatever, it doesn't matter that you're okay. And you only get that identity when you know that you're a champion son of a king. Mm-hmm. Because once a man's healed in his heart, he can't go back. He's got to go out and stand beside another man mm-hmm. and do life with him mm-hmm. and, and help him along the way. Mm-hmm. And that's what Jesus, see, that bloke Jesus, he went after the lost bloke. You know, he went after the one lost. And that's, you will hear amazing stories, not always public, because usually Aussie blokes don't want to get up and make a noise about it. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to sell anything. We're not trying to start a movement. We're not interested. I don't want anyone to ever say it's a man's church or anything like that. It's just an opportunity for men to get together in a non-alcoholic zone because when a man wants to talk deep, we don't want other men to think, oh, he's only talking because he's influenced by alcohol. You know, so I think provided our agenda is such that we give glory to God and get out of his road and let him, uh, just let him show us his hand. And the other thing for men, we're learning how not to judge. And we're even learning how not to judge in our minds. We're, we're learning to just shut up and listen longer. And there's a good reason why everyone's in pain or that we say what we do. And we're learning how to just be more accepting. So, Ian, someone might be listening right now who has no clue about the acceptance and love that's offered through Shed Happens and, and your Shed Nights, where can people go to to find more information and to even connect with you and consider what might be in their area, in their part of Australia? Karen, we've got a website, shednight.com, www.shednight.com, created by my son when he was working over in China. Uh-huh. Uh, he's got a master's in IT, but a lot of blokes read it uh, blokes generally a fault where not a lot of us want to read, not a lot of us want to put blogs, but that's got an area there that tell us where some shed nights are on, gives us an opportunity to interact if blokes don't want to go to a shed night. My book, Watto.com, uh, that's a place too that gives you a little bit of an insight into shed. Every week I get requests to come and help uh, establish sheds in different areas of Australia. Uh, and there's, there's just blokes all over. It's just so good. Fortunately, my wife, Margaret, she is right with me. Uh, I wouldn't be worth two bob without her. She's just, <laughs> she's the greatest part of my life. I, I'm so grateful. Met her when, when she was 15 and a half and I was 16 and a half. We've been married 47 years. Oh, wow. Congrats. And uh, every day I thank God for her and she helps me in, in the men's stuff. God gives her great ideas that uh, I, I just put forward to the men and they work. I feel sorry for the bikes who haven't had that opportunity to have a fair and can love relationship the way God wants a man and a woman in marriage. And that's my wish. I, I don't want to see any broken-hearted people that choose to want to love God's way and not to have to go and do their life in old age on their own when um, God's love is just so immense. And that comes through both our hearts and our spirits for yeah. each other. Both together, you and Margaret, your hearts are huge. Love oozes <laughs> from you. 
It, it really does. And I'm amazed even at just how word of mouth has probably been your biggest promotional tool, hasn't it, for growing the different sheds yeah. around the place? Well, you know, Karen, <laughs> I'm a natural salesman. That's just within me and my personality. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> my personality, I went and did one of those... Uh, Oh, those standardised sort of things. I sat in this room with all these blokes and we ticked all these boxes. And then at the end they said, oh, put your hand up if you're you're in this box. Yeah. And I was the only bloke in the room of, oh, I don't know, a lot of blokes. And that was described as an entertainer. That's how they saw my personality. And I thought, oh. entertainer. Oh. You know, I don't even realise that. But everywhere I go, if there are people around me, I just naturally want them to be enjoying every minute of what they're doing. Yeah, you're people and I don't, I don't even feel within me that I pay a price to do that. I just feel like this is me. Yeah. Margaret's helped me a lot with this personality thing. Everyone's okay. It's just that we need to know our characteristics and then we can be more accepting of each other. There are plenty of people that uh, would probably get tired even get near me, but probably <laughs> uh, Margaret sends me to the footy every so often just to get a bit of peace. Um, we, we appreciate each other for our differences. We don't try and make people be like us. Mm-hmm. Again, there's a lot of people that I come across that are trying to be something and they don't have to. Just I, I think my prayer is every day, Lord, whatever you've got to do to my heart, can you do a job on me so... I can be your real deal, bloke. I got three sons and grandchildren and that, and I don't want to put on acts for any of them. I would like to think that what comes through me, the love through me to each one of them, they all feel special, and they don't think, oh, he likes someone more than me and all that sort of junk. But when you're growing up as a man, oh, I think you try so hard to get it right all the time, and you can always bust your brains trying, and you can still still muck it up because you never know till it's too late. But, you know, down the track, you don't know whether you did a good job or not, and then the only thing you can do is go back and say you're sorry, you know? Yeah. Probably, I think, Ian, the best word that describes you, in my mind at the moment, is passionate. You are a passionate man. You are passionately committed to your family, to the world around you. You're passionately committed to building up other people and building communities of, of blokes, of men, and building communities of mature Christians. You know, the, the people well, that you've mentored and brought into a new reality of life is astounding. Karen, the women have held the banner and they've put up with so much. All my life I've watched good women put up with so much from we men at times when I think, Come on, all we have to do is be open and get real. Now, you talk about my passion. There was a time in my life I was driven, and driven with passion is not a nice place. And I was driven not to be like my dad in my early days. I'm not going to be like my father. So everything you do is driven and driving people stupid that way. Once I heard that God showed me that, I had to hand over that drivenness to the cross and be freed by the blood of Jesus all my giftings, all my natural me, I just said, Lord, I want to give you all these things back. I want to give you everything back. And if you want me to be out the front making a noise and doing that, <laughs> you're going to have to give them back to me and I'll, I'll give it my best shot. So, yeah, my passion now is my passion because I had to die to that awful thing called drivenness. How do you deal with that now? I'm not driven. I'm not a driven person now because I'm very conscious. I can tell you that with Margaret, we talk about lots of things. Uh, We talk about every trip that is in front of me, every time someone rings me up, talk to her about it. I don't know any other way than to give everything I've got, no matter what I do. 
whether I'm teaching someone in the truck for an hour, if I stand up in front of men to speak, whether it's one or a hundred or a thousand, my thing is, is God's given me these gifts and ability. I give it everything I've got because if he calls me home right now and I stand there with him, oh, 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 I just would love him to say, good on you, boy. You gave it all you had. I don't want to have an excuse and say, Lord, I wish I had done that. I wish I had tried hard. I wish I had a... I wish, I don't want to do that. I just want to be real and just want to go for it. Well, you're definitely an agent from God. (laughs) He is going to be standing there waiting when the time comes with arms wide open saying, come, well done, good and faithful servant, Ian Watto Watson. God bless you. And your book is such an encouragement. It's also available as an audio book. It's entitled Every Bloke's a Champion even you. It's by Ian Watto Watson. And uh, thanks so much for your time. God bless in all that you're doing. Thanks, Karen. God bless. Have a great day. Bye-bye. That was Karen Hunt chatting with the late Ian Watto Watson in an interview that was recorded in 2014. Sadly, Watto passed away in December of 2019 after a long battle with prostate cancer. Ian was founder of a men's ministry known as Shed Happens, which continues to this day. Next time, we'll hear what I reflect back on his life in a conversation he had with Eric Scadabo, recorded two months before he died. For more information about Ian's men's ministry and books, you can go to the website he mentioned, shednight.com. That's shednight.com. Also, a new website has been made since today's interview was recorded. It's shedhappens.com.au. That's shedhappens.com.au. Well, thanks for joining us for part one in our series paying tribute to Ian Watson. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I have to go into hospital to have my tummy drained. And once they scan my tummy and they can see that the fluid's built up to a certain point, then I go into the palliative care and then they stick a drain into my tummy and I'm usually in there for about three nights and a few days where they gently take it out and then I'm sitting in a room with two other people in different stages of palliative care. The late Ian Watson started his own truck driving school in Brisbane in 1989 and began a men's ministry in 2002, right about the same time he was diagnosed with prostate cancer. In an interview recorded two months before his death, Ian reflects on his life and his long journey with cancer. That's coming up next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.